Good morning. So uh, right now um, we have an intern, uh, Taylor, and we, uh, he was at, Elder, at DeWitt right now, but he was down here in the first service, and I went to introduce him and his wife, and when I went to introduce him, he was in the bathroom, so I had to wait for him to come out, introduced him during the first service, took him up to DeWitt, we got there before the ABF was over, and we walked in uh, the uh, foyer, which the foyer is about from here to there, it's, really, it's a really small foyer. And he got greeted by three marks, me and two other marks. So he got a good intro there. And then uh, he'll be back down in a little while. But look for a redheaded guy, a big Texas A&M fan. That might bother you. Um, how you treat him well will determine if he's an Iowa State or Iowa grad, uh, lover before he leaves here. So he's here for seven weeks. He's going to be going to seminary in a little while. And he was just, God is uh, directing him into ministry, but he's trying to figure out what it is. And so he's going to be around in both campuses and see what we do and kind of get a feel for what it is in ministry. So please in, uh, welcome him, encourage him, support him, help him to want to be in ministry, not want to, not want to be in ministry. So, well, when I was 19 years old, I was uh, summoned to jury duty. I ended up in, on two cases, and one of the cases was cut and dry. The case presented to the court uh, of a 30, uh, guy, man, in his 30s, man in his 30s who was caught driving on a suspended and revoked license. And unwisely, the man decided to represent himself instead of uh, using a lawyer. And as a man was arguing his case, he incriminated himself. He acknowledged that he had driven without a license because his license had been suspended or revoked. His argument was that if his license had not been suspended or revoked, that when he got stopped by the police, he would have had a license to show them. (laughs) So after the thing, the jury, we went out and we took us three days to come to a decision. And after three arduous days, come on, there should be a laughter there, come on. It didn't take us long. I walked in there, guilty, guilty, unanimous decision, guilty. He was guilty as charged. Well, this morning we're doing a flyover of Hosea chapters 4 and 5. In chapter 4, we see the Israelite condition and how they, God sees them. And in chapter 5, we see the consequences of what will come for their disobedience to God. Well, chapter 4 begins with God taking Israel to court. To be taken to court by God ought to be very scary. For God is the prosecutor, the jury, and the judge. He never loses a case. And the goal of the courtroom encounter was to wake up the Israelites to their wicked behavior and their lack of worshiping God as He is. And due to time, we're not going to read through both chapters. Rather, we'll take a look at several verses that give the context of these chapters. But I would encourage you to read chapters 4 and 5 later on. But turn with me to Hosea chapter 4. We'll start with verse 1. It's page 752 in the Bibles under the seats. And let me just say, it's really important that you follow along. It's really a really important thing for you to do because they say after 24 hours, you remember 5% of what you hear, 15% of what you read, and 35% of what you study, and we're trying to study this together because I hate to come out here and you remember 5%. <laughs> because there's a, God's Word needs to be remembered. And so any way you can do to help yourself to remember, look at God's Word, grab your phone, do whatever you can to read along with me, that will be very helpful for you. 
Chapter 4, verse 1, Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. The Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. The word controversy can mean dispute, lawsuit, or a legal case. The New American Standard Bible translates this way, For the Lord has a case against them. The case is against the Israelites who inhabit the land. So what are the charges? Verse 1, there is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. The Israelites were God's people. Their ancestors made a covenant with God that he would be their God and they would be his people. And the generations to follow were to keep this covenant. God was faithful to do his part in the covenant, but the people were not. And the first charge that God had against the Israelites, charge number one, is no faithfulness. They were not loyal. They were not trustworthy. They were not consistent. The people chased after other gods, lowercase g. They devoted themselves to false teaching and sinful living, and they were anything but faithful to God. The second charge, charge number two, is no steadfast love. The Hebrew word for Steadfast love is hesed. He would translate it kindness or loyalty or loyal love. It often refers to the kind of loyal love that God has with the covenant that he has made with his people. And the people were to reciprocate that love back to God, not just to God, but they were also to demonstrate that love to others. And they had failed in both directions, horizontally and vertically. And the third charge against the people was no knowledge of God. You know, there's different kinds of knowledge in relation to God. There is knowledge about God, that is uh, head knowledge, that is facts, understanding facts about God. But there is no commitment to those facts. They just remain in our heads. And the, the Israelites were even missing this kind of knowledge about God. They didn't know important truths about God and who He is and His expectations of them and how they lived. And we're going to see in a moment why they were lacking this kind of knowledge. But there's a second kind of knowledge. It's a knowledge of God. And it's a kind of knowledge that's more personal. It's more intimate. And there's a big difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone, isn't there? I knew some neat facts about Andre before I started dating her. That's why I started dating her, because she was pretty amazing. But I really got to know her through spending time with her, and even much more through a commitment of marriage to her. I know her. I know often how she is thinking and feeling. Well, much more thinking than feeling, guys, right? How many, how many really understand how your wife feels? It's really hard to figure that out. Sometimes they don't know how they're feeling, right? I know her likes. I know her love language really speaks to her. I know Andrea. And there's a big difference between knowing facts about a cat or a dog and knowing a cat or a dog. You can learn so much more about an animal when they become your pet. And I get a chance to show my dog to you, so there it cascade. That's the nicest thing you're going to hear all day because the rest is going downhill, so I thought I'd give you something nice. You might think I'm joking, but I'm serious because Hosea 4 and 5 is harsh. And to be jokey and funny is not consistent with the text. And so this is your joy right here, okay? 
You know, really a sad commentary on the people of God that they did not know God. Let me ask you, if God brought charges against you, what would they be? I mean, none of us here are perfect, right? Would he charge you with being unfaithful, not fully committed to him? See, are you obeying his commands? Are you surrendered to him daily? Are you walking in the good works that God has prepared for you to do, which we saw in Ephesians earlier? Are you chasing after other things that get to give you peace and security? Are you trusting your bank account for your security more than your God? Does your boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse or child have a greater place in your heart than God? That is unfaithfulness. Are you guilty of it? Would he charge you with being unloving toward him or others? Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Are you loving God with all your heart? Or does he only get a little bit of it? Are you loving God with all your soul, which means all of you? Are you giving him all of you? Are you loving God with your mind that you're thinking about his thoughts, you're studying his word? Are you giving him all your mind? Are you giving him all your strength, the best of you, or are you giving him leftovers? Is loving God your chief desire in life? To love God also, though, requires loving others as ourselves, as it says in the the command there. But then Jesus adds something for believers in Christ. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must also love one another. How are you doing with these two commands? Loving God with everything in yourself and loving others. You see, love is other-centered, Are you other-centered or are you more self-centered most of the time? Would God charge you with being unloving? Or would he charge you with no knowledge of him? Is God just a set of facts that you can declare? Or do you really know him? Got a lot of young kids here, also teenagers here, and that's one of the the benefits of being in this church. You're going to be taught God's Word, but if you don't take God to yourself, it's just a knowledge of information. It's about God. Do you have a personal relationship with Him? Not your parents' relationship. Do you have your own personal relationship with Him? Do you know Him? Are you in God's Word faithfully? Are you connecting with him in prayer regularly? Do you know his thoughts? Do you know his desires, what pleases him? Do you know what he wants to do with your life? If you're standing before God, what do you say to you? You don't know me.
You know, lack of faithfulness, lack of love, and lack of knowledge of God causes chaos. Without reverence and submission to someone greater than us, we will live without fear of consequences. We will do what feels best for ourselves, regardless of what it does to others. It will become survival of the fittest, and that is how the Israelites lived. We see this in verse 2. They're swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Jesus says, turn the other cheek. They turned the knife. The Israelites were breaking the Ten Commandments given to them by God himself through Moses. You know, Hosea 4.3 says that sinning doesn't just impact ourselves. It doesn't even just impact other people. It impacts the land. It impacts animals and fish. Verse 3, therefore the land mourns and all who dwell in it languish. And also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and even the fish of the sea are taken away. You know, we talk about climate change and all that kind of stuff. You know what the best thing you can do about climate change? Quit sinning. Quit sinning. We pollute the world by our sins because we treat people poorly. We hurt other people. We hurt animals. We don't care about other things else and that we just pollute the land. We start with Adam. And the land grieves, groans, waiting for the Lord to finally come and redeem it. In the context of this passage, though, the plush land that was providing this abundance for the, for the Israelites in the time of Hosea was going to be ravaged by enemy forces because of their sin. Trees and plants would be scorched. Animals would be killed as the armies come through, and, or they'll desert the land. There'll be no sound of birds chirping because they're gone. They flew away. And that is what awaits Israel for their sins. Well, God's case wasn't just against the Israelites. God also brought charges against the prophets and priests in Israel, a little more closer to home for pastors and teachers. What were God's charges against the prophets and priests? Charge number one, they were refusing to teach God's laws. Look at verse four. Yet let no one contend, let none accuse, for with you is my contention, O priests, You shall stumble by day, the prophets also shall stumble with you by night, and I'll destroy your mother. Mother meaning Israel, not their own mothers. He says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you've forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. The spiritual leaders were set apart to teach God's laws to the people. The prophets were set apart to speak on behalf of God to the people. And Malachi says, The words of a priest's lips should preserve knowledge of God, should preserve knowledge of God, and people should go to him for instruction, for the priest is the messenger of the Lord of heaven's armies. That was so crucial back then because the Israelites didn't have their own Bibles like we do. God's word was written on scrolls, and the scrolls were scarce, and only the spiritual leaders had access to them. And so it was imperative that the priests taught the people the word of the Lord. 
And it was imperative the prophets spoke on behalf of God to the people to tell them whether something good was going to happen or something bad was going to happen. They were responsible for telling the word of the Lord to the people. And they weren't doing it. Verse 6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you've rejected knowledge and I reject you from being a priest to me. You know, the impact of false teaching or lack of teaching God's word shows up in the way people worship God. Gary Smith in his commentary on Hosea writes, If God is not presented as Redeemer, no one will come to him for forgiveness. If God is not seen as the sovereign king of the universe, people will not honor and revere him as divine Lord, but will treat him as a casual buddy. If no one knows what God hates and is ignorant of what pleases him, it is not surprising if people do things that are contrary to his revealed will. When people do not know God, they will tend to do whatever seems culturally or socially acceptable. Doesn't that sound like our world today? The Israelites didn't know God, didn't know anything much about Him, and they didn't know Him personally. And because of that exchange, worship that was due Him alone to worship, to praise, to Baal and idols and Astra. Look at verse 12. My people inquire of a piece of wood. They're reaching out to wood as idols, seeking wisdom from them. And their walking staff gives them oracles. They're listening to their sticks for wisdom, for direction. For a spirit of whoredom has led them astray, and they have left their God to play the whore. They sacrifice on tops of the mountains and burn offerings on the hills under oak, poplar, and terebinth because their shade is good. It's talking about the high places. Whenever you're in the Old Testament, the high places, it's talking about those are the pagan places to worship, and they would go there and worship. A few weeks ago, I saw a video on Facebook of a pastor leading her congregation in a creed. Something like we do with a communion statement, we have everybody repeat. She was doing that with a creed called the Sparkle Creed. Anybody know the Sparkle Creed? I heard the first two sentences and I had to stop watching it. It was so disrespectful to God and contrary to his word. And this is the first two sentences I hear. I don't know what the rest of it is because I didn't want to read it. But these are the sentences that I heard. I believe in a non-binary God whose pronouns are plural. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child, who wore a fabulous tunic and had two dads. That's biblical malpractice. That is heresy. That is a leader of a church taking congregation down a path of idolatry and disobedience. You will have no other gods before me. You will not make gods in your own image. The Ten Commandments. She's taking them right down through that. Paul described 2,000 years ago what, what is, to Timothy what we're seeing even today. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. At Cornerstone, we unapologetically preach and teach God's word. Because we love God, we preach His Word. And because we love you and the people who are going to come, we preach God's Word because God loves you and He wants you to know His Word and His Word is best. We're not going to water it down. We're not going to ignore it. 
We teach the whole counsel of God. In fact, that's why we're in Hosea today. We're in Hosea because Hosea is God's word. Just as much as the red letter words in the gospel are. It's God's word. And God's word is there to reproof and change and make us more like Christ. We need God's word. Not watered down. Not minimized. Not ignored. And Cornerstone, you need to know that you have, that if your pastors ever veer off of the truth, you have leaders in the church who will stop it because they also, at both campuses, believe that God's word is what we need to hear and we're only going to preach and teach God's word in our church. See, we don't tailor God's word to fit us. We look at God's word and tailor our lives to that. It's the standard. We don't make the standard. So whether you like something in the Bible or not, like Thomas Jefferson, he ripped things out of the Bible and made his own Bible, we don't do that here. God's word is his word. It was made in a loving way with wisdom that far exceeds our own. And so we submit ourselves to his word. And that you're coming here is a good thing. And if you know people that go elsewhere, they're going to places that are not teaching God's word or teaching contrary, you have permission to invite them here. We're not into sheep stealing, but when you're going to a church that's not teaching God's word, that is malpractice. Get them a new doctor. Now, to be a spiritual teacher is very serious. And God holds teachers to a higher standard. And James writes us, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers and sisters, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. See, what you teach matters to God. Whether you're a pastor or an elder or a deacon or a deaconess, a youth leader, a Sunday school or children's church teacher, a VBS leader, teacher, a small group or discipleship group leader, a mentor, God is listening. Or a parent in your home, God is listening and he will hold us accountable for what we teach. Apostle Paul challenged us Challenges who, who we teach at this. Work hard so you may present yourself to God, approved, so you might receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly ha- explains the word of truth. So we're presenting ourselves to God. He's looking over the teaching. Are we going to be ashamed, or is he going to be, are we going to be approved? It all determines by how we use God's word and share it. And then all believers in Christ are called priests. Peter says, and you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. See, we as Christians, if you know Jesus Christ, Savior and Lord, you are a priest and you represent God to people around you. you. We live lives that demonstrate that Jesus is alive and worth living for. And we're called as holy priests to present the gospel to others. 
Jeff, who'd been a Christian from his young age, went to his 10-year high school reunion, and he saw a good friend, Randy, and while in conversation, he heard from Randy that he had trusted in Christ, and, and Jeff was so excited to hear that he now had a brother in Christ, and he celebrated. It was all great until he turned to remorse when Randy shared that Jeff was the reason he had not accepted Christ earlier. See, Randy had watched how Jeff lived his life during high school and tried to emulate his life. But Randy didn't realize the power and purpose behind Jeff's life was Jesus because Jeff never shared the power and purpose behind his life was Jesus. It took years for Randy to realize it wasn't Jeff's life that he wanted, but the Jesus behind Jeff's life that he wanted, and he surrendered his life to Jesus. Are there people in your life, and if you know Jesus Christ, Savior and Lord, and you're living for him, you have qualities that people want. I guarantee it. Are you patient? People want that quality. Are you loving? People want that quality. Are you kind? People want that quality. Are you self-controlled? People want that quality. Those are fruit of the Spirit. You have those qualities, but the Holy Spirit gives those to you, right? Do people know why you are patient, why you are kind? Do they know that? Do they know the reason why you are what you are? Do they know that Jesus has transformed your life? It doesn't take much, by the way. I used to work in a restaurant back in college and being joyful as I am, I'd be joyful. Like, why are you so happy all the time? Like, Jesus Christ is my Savior. He makes me happy. That was all I had to say. More conversations came later. Let me ask you, God puts you in court. Would he charge you with withholding the gospel from others? Would you be guilty of keeping it to yourself? The priests were keeping God's word from others. Are we doing the same? If you want to share the gospel but don't know how, talk to one of the pastors, one of the elders, one of the leaders. Let me just tell you, we all started where you are. We all started where you are. We didn't know how to do it, and we were afraid. Common thing that we all have. What changed? We got help. We sought help. We got someone to help us, and we took steps. Do we still get butterflies? Absolutely. It's a spiritual thing. But don't make that excuse, I can't do this. Take steps to change. Take steps to do that. I talk to our people and do it regularly and say, because I love you, I challenge you to share your faith. Because there's no greater joy than seeing someone hear the gospel and trust in Christ. And that doesn't happen if we're not talking to people about Jesus. That's the greatest joy there is. People are going all over the world sacrificing their life as missionaries so that people would come to know Jesus. You can hear, have it now. You can have it here without having to leave so far away. The second charge against the spiritual leaders, charge number two, is they encourage sinful behavior. Verse 7. The more they increase, the more they sinned against me. I will char- change their glory into shame. I'm talking about the priests. They feed on the sin of my people. They are greedy for their iniquity. And it shall be like people, like priests. I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They shall eat but not be satisfied. They shall play the whore but not multiply because they have forsaken the Lord to cherish. The saying is the spiritual leaders loved when people sinned 
because they were in charge of these false temples and they would have to bring sacrifices in. So the more you sin, the better the sac- more sacrifice I got. So, hey, I'm, a, I'm good with you sinning because you're going to bring a sacrifice in and I'm going to get some good food out of you. And the, the uh, spiritual leaders were allowing the people to go to shrine prostitutes and, and, and have sex with them as a way to honor the gods. And speaking, instead of speaking out against adultery with these shrine prostitutes, they approve and engage it themselves. And since the spiritual leaders disregarded or forgot God's laws, they did whatever felt good to them. Now listen very carefully about Jesus. He is the most gentle person ever walked this earth. We see how he is with the vulnerable he always sought their, out their heart and spoke into their heart and he ministered to them. He's so gentle and loving. In fact, he calls himself, I am gentle and lowly in spirit. This is his words to those who encourage others to sin. But if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be thrown in the depths of the sea. Jesus is saying, I would rather have you kill yourself than take all these people down a wrong path. These vulnerable people, do away with yourself. Get away, run away, hide. Leave everybody alone. Do not take people down that path. There's a strong warning for anyone who wants to minimize God's word or take advantage of the vulnerable by teaching false views of God. False doctrine, false views of sexuality and gender. God is watching. God is holding accountable. And there's consequences for that. Now, we don't have time to go over all the consequences that we found in chapter 5. I encourage you to read the chapter again later. But listen to God's description of what was to come. Ephraim is oppressed crushed in judgment because he was determined to go after filth. What a sad commentary. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear away and tear and go away. I will carry off and no one shall rescue. I will return again to my place until they all acknowledge their guilt and seek my face and in their distress earnestly seek me. Ephraim is actually the, one of the prominent tribes of the northern uh, kingdom. And so when, when Hosea uses that, he's referring to Israel. It's just another name for Israel. So when you read that, think Israel. The, all the northern tribes. Now the ultimate consequence for their sins was God removing himself from the Israelites and removing them from the land. God would bring the Assyrian army to demolish and overpower the Israelites and take them away to far off Assyria. And many would die in that foreign land. But even with that, all the Israelites have done. There's still hope for some. We see that in verse 15. Until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. I'm going to be far away, but until they do. He would bring them back one day from the land. For God is faithful and has steadfast love for his people. Now, what can we apply from this passage from the Old Testament for us today, 2023? 
for that, I'll sell the, the, uh, those notes to those who are interested, 12 bucks, and I'll give you the application, all right? First, repent of your sins and choose to obey God. Sin has consequences, right? And for the Christian, if you're a Christian here, all your sins are forgiven past, present, and future. And if you're not a Christian here, trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord and allow Him to take your sins. He went to the cross to carry them for you. Right now, you're carrying them on yourself. Give them to Jesus. Allow Him to take those sins and invite Him to come and lead your life so that you can be forgiven of all your sins. So for the Christian, though all your sins are forgiven, not all your consequences are removed. They remain. So sin, though forgiven, can still cause grave consequences. See, if I keep sinning, that can harden my heart. And then I may not listen to God. My ears might close off to God. And pretty soon I'm going down a road I never thought I'd go down and one day I might have to get to the rock bottom and I've hurt many people, including myself, because I didn't repent when I should have. So if you're walking in sin, repent and turn back to God before he has to take steps to humble you. And he's going to humble you because he loves you. And the Israelites are being going to be humble because of his steadfast love. It's called tough love, right? Second, make a daily commitment to know God better. Is God your God? If he is, how much time are you spending knowing him and connecting with him? Unlike the Israelites, we have Bibles galore at our disposal. What's keeping you from spending time in His Word? See, there's no greater book that can impact you. My years of ministry, one of the things I hear probably most frequently about why I don't read is some people say, I don't read very well. Let me just say that you have the Holy Spirit living inside you. Do you not think He can help you read? Do you not think that he can help you understand? And let's say you are reading something you don't understand. Do you not think there's people in the church who would actually like to help you or help you understand it? They would. There's no condemnation. There's joy in learning together and discovering together. Please do not say, I don't read very well or I don't like to read. God's word is amazing. And you haven't, if you haven't read it, you don't know how great it is. So spend time in it. Get to know God. And the great thing about it is you are actually meeting with God when you're in his word. He's there. And there's no other book better for your soul, better for your heart, better for your mind, better for your emotions than spending time with God. And then third, don't keep the gospel to yourself. Share it with others. People need us to share the good news. So who do you have in your circle of influence that needs to know the good news? And if you have no circle of influence, make one. Again, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So what are we going to say to him? 
So God has placed you in people's lives in your circle of influence for a reason, and you have the answers they need to hear. And it's not like, you need this. Rather, the attitude of sharing the good news is we share it with grace and patience and respecting the person. And as you're sharing with them, if they get a wall that comes up, you don't fight over that wall and push it over. You respect it and you step back and say, maybe it's not the time to keep doing this. Let's talk later. Don't keep the gospel to yourself. In the beginning of chapter 4, we see that Israel was going to go to court with God. And the reality is you and I will too. Everybody in this room, everybody in this world are going to stand before Jesus. It might be falling before Jesus. But we're going to be before the judgment seat of Christ. Those who do not know Jesus will be standing there and he's going to see if your name is written in the book of life. If it's not written in the book of life because you don't know Jesus and trust in him, then he's going to send you eternal separation from him in hell. But if you know Jesus, (coughs) he's going to be looking at you. He's going to say, what did you do? While in the body. See, how you live this life determines what he says to you. And maybe you haven't been living for God before. Or maybe you've been giving him just a part of you. It's time, time is to change. This is the time. Do it now. There's still time to be transformed. So we live in the Spirit's power. And we listen to his direction. We obey him. And you will hear, if you do that, you'll hear the best response from Jesus himself. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. You want to hear that? I sure do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Your word that speaks into the very depths of us. Your word that does not return void. Your word, if we choose to follow and obey, will transform us to make us fully pleasing to you. We are fully pleasing to you um, positionally, but we're not fully pleasing to you morally in the way we live our lives. We want to be that way. Lord, we ask that we surrender ourselves to you and ask your spirit to speak into our lives and of the three areas, four areas that we uh, looked at today, unfaithfulness, a lack of steadfast love, no knowledge of God, holding the Bible and the gospel captive. Which of these, Lord, is a concern of yours in our lives? Which one of these do you want to transform? Holy Spirit, speak to us and help us obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the worship team has come up for the last song. This opportunity, the altar is open. It's an opportunity just to surrender to, your, to the Lord, whatever he uh, wants you to surrender to you. There's something special about going forward. You're connecting with the Lord. There's no judgment here. There's a non-judgment place. If you need someone to pray for you, raise your hand. Someone will come pray with you. But I encourage you to surrender yourself to him, whatever he's speaking of you, and say, I want you to change this in me. I want to have you have no case against me, Lord Jesus. Just stand up.